We're at this place in the story of David where last week we saw that, that David and King Saul were on the opposite sides of a mountain. And just as Saul began to move forward over the mountain where he would come into contact with David, a message gets to Saul saying that the Philistines were raiding Israel and Saul had to go back. Um, Saul had one thing he wanted to do. He wasn't trying to necessarily win the war anymore. We talked about last week about the right fight, how David was seeking God, David was fighting injustice, but King Saul had one fight in mind. He no longer really cared about the people of Israel. He wanted to take out one dude that he um, gave grace to, that he moved into a palace that he used to soothe him when, when demonic attack came on. He used him to defeat Goliath. He wanted to take out David because he was really, really jealous of him. And he put all his attention into taking this one dude out. It wasn't coincidence that David was fighting, uh, the, the, he was fighting this right fight of injustice. Saul was fighting this wrong fight. And because of this, it's not coincidence that Saul just suddenly got called away because the Philistines had taken over the, the, the place where he was. God had a favor on David because David was seeking him. And because of that, at the right time, just before Saul would have taken David, Saul was called away. And if you remember, David was at a very, very uh, not great place to be in as, as far as it came to King Saul because David had kept on backing into a wilderness and he got to a place where Saul could have easily taken him and his army. So it, it, there's all these things going on where it seems like David is going backwards and has disadvantage, but every time he listens to God and goes deeper into the wilderness, goes into a city literally cornered because it's surrounded by walls every time God provides a way for him to get out and, and, and be saved and be protected. The fight you are called to it will be revealed to you directly from your seeking of God, not because you're trying to do a seemingly good thing, but because you have been seeking God so much that he is telling you exactly where to focus, what injustice to fight, and where you're going. And what I talked about last week is we spend so much time trying to bind Satan and, and talk about Satan get behind me and Satan do this that we forget Satan's done what we're fighting is not him what we're fighting is what he has influenced that's what we got to focus on we can spend all day talking about let's get Satan out of here or we can get off our butts and go feed the hungry, go, go, go embrace orphans, go take care of widows, go, go to the streets and tell people about who God is. We've got to really start fighting the right fight and stop playing this, this hideaway game of let's come to these houses of worship, let's worship together, let's talk a good talk, let's, let's prophesy what we should do and then not do a thing about it and think we're holy. David's seeking God, and he is going on every single step that he needs to in order to, to, to obey what God is telling him. And first, and, and I want to point out something before we move on in the story. Two things. I know this is starting off slow. I'm just trying to build you up. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 2. David left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt, who were discontented, until David was a captain of about 400 men. Now last week I told you the process. David sought God alone. David got together with his family. God gave him the army. And what we talked about in this season of decrease for increase, we've got to seek God alone, we've got to build family, and then God will give us the army. 
he gave David an army of 400. But then look, but then later David is cornered into the city where he has been led and he talks to God uh, through a prophet and God tells him, these people who you just saved from hunger because of the Philistines, because Saul has not been fighting the Philistines, Saul has completely ignored the Philistines and now they're coming in this city because Saul is obsessed with David. David brings his men, he kills the Philistine army, he rescues them from hunger and these very people that he rescued are about to betray him to King Saul. So he prays and says, what, what should we do? And, and, and this, this is what happens in 1 Samuel 23, 13. David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped so he didn't go to Keilah after all. This is where David backed into the wilderness and he went to this place where he was on the other side of the mountain with King Saul. Okay, but what I thought was interesting that we didn't point out last week, that when he was alone in the cave and built the family, God added 400 men to the army. But then when he gets back into this corner and he fights this injustice, by the time he leaves, put that verse back up there, Matthew, if, if you don't mind. It says, David and his men, about how many? 600. He went into the city with 400 the people were going to betray him, so he left, but he left with more than he came. Because God says, if you will follow me, there will always be fruit from your following. I will always add what you need for your next season. And there's so many of us that are scared to go into these places that seem like they're backwards, that seem like they're corners, they seem like they're these places where everything's coming against us, and we think there is no way that I'm going to profit from this. But God says, it's just throw away the circumstantial evidence of what could happen and seek me because all you're going to get is fruit. What was the fruit? His army increased. All because of one thing, he fought the right fight. And it doesn't make sense to a lot of people coming to this smaller environment. I had someone at a church tell me when we made this move, I mean, his literal words to me were, I think you're making the wrong decision because your rent's going up. You're paying more than twice as what you're paying now. You're going to a small facility. It's the wrong decision. And I said, okay. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we go into this small facility and then people say, why are you spending so much money? Didn't make sense. But we went into the small facility, we spent the money, and then we just increased for free. It doesn't make sense. But what does make sense is whenever you follow God, he increases. I believe that the reason we came here is because the increase that's going to happen out of this intimacy of family is going to be the army that everyone keeps talking about needed for revival. I truly believe it. I have too much in my heart and in my mind and in my dreams to be someone who, who, who is in a church that is too hidden. I don't want to be a preacher that has a platform that people know that relentless is Kyle Garrison. That's not my dream. I don't want to be the next big name preacher. I want people to know this church not by a preacher, but by the people. I have a vision that this church is going to have so much influence that not only the lost are going to be found, but the found are going to be found. That there's going to be an awakening. We pray so much for blind eyes to be open, but I think some of the most blind eyes are the ones who think they can see. And we're going to get into that in this message today.
That's my vision. So David leaves with 600 men. There's a principle in John 15, 5. He says, and we know this very much. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if you are in a season where no fruit is being produced, you don't talk to God and complain about why is there no fruit. You take a serious look at your life and figure out where have you not remained. Because we get into this place of stuck where we don't see any increase. We don't see any add-on. And we're so quick to think that the only thing we need to do is just keep pressing forward. We, we use that church language, just push through it, just press forward. But maybe the, the first reaction should be, I need to take a self-evaluation. Because God doesn't say anything but one thing. Those who remain, they'll produce fruit. So if I'm in a place in my life where fruit's not being produced in my finances, the first thing I look at, have I, is there any area of my life where I have not remained in him through my finances? Do I tithe? Do I bless when he tells me to bless? Do I manage like he's called me to manage? God says we're blessed to be a blessing, but some of us don't know how to save, and we're so financially strapped that when God says so, you don't have any money to so, therefore you can't say yes. Y'all quiet, but if I'm in a place where the church is not producing fruit, the first thing I say, God, where have I not remained in my seeking of you as the leader? Not just as a, as a son of you, as a, as a child of you, but as a leader. Where have I not remained? What do I need to change? What relationships do I need to mend? Where have I not remained? If I see that the worship is not increasing, the first thing I look at, where have I not remained in my worship? Because if oil flows from head down, a seed produces after its own kind. If you're not worshiping, there's something that I need to correct. And the thing is, we depend on the pastor to do that. But if we would all take on that mindset, that is when we're going to see this thing really start to come together as a worshiping family. Because we're all going to take responsibility. We're all going to say, this is my house and this is my call and I am going to unify in this. I'm remaining. And he says, if you'll remain, you'll bear fruit. David remains. In the process of he's gone from a, a, sh a shepherd boy to living in a palace to saving the, the whole, the, the king and his whole army to that very king trying to kill him over and over. But he's remaining. So Saul's been lying about him. Saul's been trying to kill him. David has lost his wife at this point. But he remains. He remains in the seeking. He's running around homeless. He's the original Robin Hood out in Sherwood Forest. With his merry men of 400 people. That was so lame. <laughs> That's what he's doing. But he's remaining. And because of the remain, here's your family, here's your 400, here's your 600. And then we saw last week in 1 Samuel 23, verse uh, 29, it says, David then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. And we talked about how in En Gedi, it was that oasis. It was the spring of the goat. There was so much water and so much resource that he finally got to a place where he had total sustenance. Because in your remaining, the fruit that will be produced will bring you to a place where you have no need. Now, David had a lot of needs. 
But his need at this time was he needs water and he needs life because his men have been wandering around. And the way he got to an oasis was decrease in the wilderness. Go further in the wilderness. Go back further. Decrease, decrease, and it led him into more. The world's idea of increase is increase, 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 increase. But God says, don't be conformed to that pattern of the world. They think you've got to go more to get more. But I am showing you a way that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. If you would humble yourself before me and de decrease you and focus on me, I'll bring you into all the more. But let me do it so I can get the glory. We've got to remember, God is a jealous God. And it's okay to understand he is jealous of the glory that you're keeping for yourself. He wants it. He wants it. He doesn't want you to get the accolades. He wants them. He's jealous for them. But what happens is when we get victory, we celebrate, oh, look at Relentless Church. When we get this, we, we, we say, oh, yeah, look at what we did, but we did not do it. We've got to, we've got to shift from look at what God, God did for us to just say, wow, God, you did this. You get glory. You get fame. You get credit. We had nothing to do with this except for the one thing that we kept giving you glory in every step of the way. And then through all this in 1 Samuel, we come to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And this is where we're going tonight. After Saul, is this okay so far? I know it's starting out slow. But after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops, 3,000 of the best from all of Israel, and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. I want to pay attention to something. Look at verse 1. It says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David went to Angedi. In other words, here again, David was betrayed. And David's been seeking God. He's been doing the right thing. He's been righting his wrongs because he lied about the priest in the temple and all the priests got killed. He'd been righting his wrongs. He's been seeking God. He's been doing the right stuff. And in doing right, he still gets betrayed. Just because you're seeking God does not mean you're immune from the fall of others. And what, what's happened here is his position is given to King Saul. But for some reason in life, when life betrays us, the first thing we do as people is we build up this wall between us and God. And we say, why did you let this happen? Because we have this, this, this thing in our minds, if we seek God, it's going to be easy, and the only thing that will come is fruit. But God says, sometimes I've got to prune for fruit. But then we, we mess up the pruning, because we think that when we lose, when, when we, we, we lose a job, we lose a loved one, we lose position, we lose favor, the church loves to always say, well, that's pruning. I don't believe God makes a plan for, to take loved ones. I don't believe God necessarily makes a plan every time for you to take your job. Sometimes it's a humbling thing, absolutely, but that's not the standard. God doesn't plan for you to experience hurt and loss. But when we do, the first thing we do is, is this is what Christians say, God had a plan. True but incomplete. 
God didn't have a plan to take away this thing from you. It's his plan for you remains. And even though you've experienced a betrayal and even though you've experienced a loss, if you keep seeking, he still has destiny for you even though you've lost and been betrayed by the toils of life. David has been seeking, 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 and his position gets betrayed, and now he and his men are vulnerable to be killed. The truth is that we live in a fallen world. And the church loves to talk about how God is in control. But God is not in control. Did he just say that? Yeah. Because God says, I have given and restored authority to man. Jesus is the second Adam. What did Adam have that he lost? Authority to reign in the garden. So it's not that God is in control. It's God is in control when his people start to manage every opportunity unto him. So when we experience things, it's not because God said, there it is. It's we live in a fallen world, we live in chaos, we live amongst darkness, and sometimes things happen that were not part of the original plan. So he comforts us with, I'll make all those things work together. I didn't plan all those things, but I will make them work for my good. So we love to use those scriptures, but we don't put them in context. David's seeking, he's been betrayed, he loses something. He experiences betrayal. And I've read it before, but I thought it was so appropriate in 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad these trials make you partners with Christ in the suffering so you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. It does not say partner in trial so that you get glory and that people see you glorified. It says partner with him in suffering so you can see his glory revealed. Because when life betrays you, we have to focus on the fact that in our seeking and the way we respond to life's betrayals, to life's losses, to life going backwards, that is the moment where we can show people a much different way to respond than what the world teaches. Because when we lose, we lose loved ones, we lose jobs, we lose favor, the world teaches you need to get revenge, you need to be bitter, you need to backbite, you need to gossip, you need to fall into addiction, you've got to deal with this how you need to deal with it. But God says, when you lose something, press into me and be thankful that you are in me. And the reason that works, again, partner in suffering so he gets glory. What happens is when you start to respond differently and manage that opportunity for glory, it, it is going to confuse the world to such a degree that they're going to start asking questions. Why are you happy right now? You need to go have a drink. You need, you, 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 you need, you need to deal with this. How you, it's okay. You, you, you need to figure this out. They don't expect you to say, praise God. They don't expect you to say, God's got my back. They expect for you to be bitter and anxious and depressed. But when they see you start to respond differently, 
you're managing an opportunity to say, I'm giving this as an opportunity to glorify my God. Well, how do I glorify him? People see me leaning into him rather than leaning into a worldly system. You manage the opportunity. Because no matter how much you seek, no matter how much relentless goes into favor, 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 don't be surprised when we go through a trial. Don't be surprised when leadership goes into trials. Don't be surprised when you're in a church experiencing favor, but you're not. Don't be surprised. What you do is you expect it, and when the trial comes, when the betrayal of life comes, you manage it as a chance to give glory. David has experienced such loss, and he's learned over and over, I'm going to seek God no matter what. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Listen to what that scripture just says. He says, I'm going to use things that seem like less to bring you into more so that there's no other opportunity but to give me glory. It's not a bad thing that people are, are successful. It's not a bad thing. I believe in excellence. I, I don't believe in this casual Christianity where all we do is pray for God to move and then we just sit on our behinds and do nothing. I believe that if, this is the, if our house is going to come together, I should honor you by making sure that this carpet is vacuumed. I want to make sure that the floor is clean. I want to make sure there's cold lemonade and 300-degree heat in Savannah, Georgia. I want to make sure that the sound is right, that the worship team's prepared. I want to make sure that I spend hours on my message. I'm not just going to casually say God's going to do it. But he says, in your pursuit of me and in you managing your life, I'm going to ask you to do things that don't make sense sometimes so that when you see the fruit of what the other system says, the only thing you can do is say, glorify me. Like, look what's happened. We've taken on debt as a church and then did away with it in two months and then got another facility paid for, all from giving up a better financial opportunity. You can't do anything but say, God did it. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. All for one reason. He's jealous for glory. But will you manage every opportunity, good or bad, to make sure that he is glorified? Or do you glorify yourself? Y'all don't know how hard I got it. You don't know how hard I work. I've done this, Kyle. I don't deserve this. Actually, yes, you do. Because what we deserve is to be eternally separated from the Father. And separation from the Father is nothing but going downhill from there. The fact that he makes you right is a blessing that you don't deserve. Therefore, when trial comes, it's not I don't deserve this. It's I don't deserve this. Or it's, I do deserve this, but because he looks at me as if I don't, I give him glory. Amen. He sees you as so good that he gives you a way out. But you've got to manage the opportunity. 
God says, manage every opportunity in my way so I get glory. God uses things opposite to reveal glory. You know, we're talking about this, this whole decrease for increase thing. This whole hundred versus thousands. I'm not against a thousand people in a church, but this is what I am against. If we're going to have a hundred people, I want to see a hundred disciples. If we're going to see a thousand people, I don't want to see a hundred disciples. I want to see what? A thousand disciples. So this is not about preaching against going large. It's about making sure the large are true followers of Jesus. Because that's how we're going to have influence. Because the fact of the matter is, you know that the church has been built in such a way where where we're going, most believers don't look like believers. And we're wondering why Savannah's going backwards. I, I hear believers say that all the time. I just can't believe what I'm seeing today. Really? Like, what, we're not doing anything. And it's not because churches don't offer enough programs. Churches have way too many programs. That's not the issue. The issue is there's not a birthing of followers. That's, that's the only issue. And the way you birth followers is to build an intimate house where we are obsessed with each other going forward for one purpose, not to see us get better, but for him to get glory through your increase by decreasing yourself. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Go less, I'll give you more, so that I can get glory. And we hate that. Like, like think about everything God says. Like, give up some of your time and serve me so I can take you further. Less time, more glory. Only live off 90% of your income. Less money, more glory. Like, everything about God is, you do less, and I'll take you further. But we don't want to embrace it. Because we're so in our system. And now David, through all of this managing opportunities, he gets another chance to give God glory. So let's read on verse 3. Is this okay? Okay. 1 Samuel 24, verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Amen. Sometimes you just got to go. But as it happened, coincidentally, <laughs> David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, Today the Lord's telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. David has been seeking God in every step and in every detail. And here he is with 600 people in a cave. And King Saul happens to get in that cave alone to relieve himself. King Saul is totally vulnerable. 600 men led by David are there and they can take him out in a minute. And they see the opportunity. Hey, David, here's your chance. Take him out. All this is going to end. And they were saying it for the right reasons. They wanted David as the king. Why they want David as a king? Because God said, David's going to be the one to replace Saul. Their motives were great. It's time to do it. Here's the opportune chance. But Mark 8.36 says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
David has a chance to manage this opportunity. Do I make a decision to become the king right now by taking this guy out? Or am I going to lay my hands off of him so that when God puts me in position, it will be by his hand instead of mine? Remember, we're called to do three things, Micah 6.8. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. What's good? He requires of you to do this. Do what's right, love mercy, walk humbly. Justice, show mercy, be humble. When you manage an opportunity, the way it gives God glory is it has to meet three criteria. It meets justice, it shows mercy, and it shows humility. So think about David. He can kill King Saul. Justice, thou shalt not murder. Mercy, I can kill him, but I'm not going to. Humility, we're about to see it. The opportunity, I can walk in my destiny and take out the king. But look at verse 5. It says, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he, looked to it, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. Now, I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Look at what he's saying. Guys, I'm supposed to be king, and this guy has been trying to kill me for years. But that's God's anointed one. And I'm not going to touch him. Now, wait a minute, because we read in the beginning of the story that God told the prophet Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. But the fact of the matter is, Saul is still king. And the thing about God, when he puts someone in position, when he calls someone worthy to be, he's so just he does not go back on his word because it's not God's responsibility for Saul to do what's right. It's Saul's responsibility. Whether Saul manages his opportunity as king has nothing to do with what God's justice is. What was God's justice? He saw that Saul was a fully capable man to lead the people, and he anointed him to lead. And it was up to Saul to stay in that vein. Saul didn't. He fell into corruption. He went into his own path. And so often in life, we try to manage opportunities for our own self-glory. Saul was still the leader. Saul was still the king. If God wanted Saul out, Saul would have been out. But so often, we try to take things in our own hands, try to take God's timing into our own. Look at what Romans 13.1 says. Every, this, this is so simple. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. All, 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 all authority, all authority, all authority, all, 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 all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So the next time you talk about your president or your pastor or your local representative, remember something. It doesn't matter if they're corrupt or if they're wrong. They are still the appointed one. And you can either take it into your hands and say, I'm too good to submit. Or you can do what David did. I'm going to call the man who's trying to kill me Lord and submit to him. He says, guys, I know it can be so easy to take him out, but that man's anointed because he's a leader. So I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to do what's right. 
The way you honor God sometimes is honoring authority. David got this. He says, guys, this guy's trying to kill me. Even though I'm supposed to take this position, I've got one job. I'm going to honor that man. So look at how he does it. Verse 7. So David restrained his men. He did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord the King. Now think about that for a second. David and his men have been in hiding for years. He just cut King Saul's robe off while he was relieving himself. Must have been a sharp sword or a long time. (laughs) David came out and shouted, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked around, David bowed before him. Look at the context. The dude has been trying to kill him and has slung spears at him, has been lying to him, caused him to lose his wife, lose his palace, lose everything. And he looks at Saul, and he gets in the most humble, vulnerable position of a bow to the man who's trying to kill him. And you can't submit to your boss because they treat you bad. You talk bad about this person because they said something bad about you. What are we doing? You want to know what the key is to unity in the church? Humbly bowing to each other. Because it's not Pee-wee, it's God's son. It's not Ryan, it's God's son. It's not Mackenzie, it's God's daughter. It's I'm bowing and I'm being humble to the fact that you are appointed to do something and I'm more concerned with God's purpose for you than your offense to me. The reason why we don't have unity is we don't get that. We can't bow. I pray that I become a leader that learns how to bow. That learns how to humble myself and say, I don't always get it right. I don't always have the right answer. Unity. So David bows to Saul. I I wonder how many opportunities come to bow low that you run from because of pride and selfish ambition. Not understanding that your humility in the bow is your manage to give God glory. Well, how does that give God glory? Justice, mercy, humility. They see someone humble, humbling themselves before someone who doesn't deserve it. It confuses. It gets people to a place of questioning because you manage an opportunity to speak to the glory of God. (laughs) Every opportunity, a chance to manage my life to give him glory. A lot of times the only thing we see is the hurt that someone's caused you and the pain that's caused you, the trouble and the chaos. And yet we get together and we pray that God let blind eyes be open. Not understanding that you're so focused on trouble and chaos and hurt that you're seeing with worldly blinded eyes. Maybe tonight our prayers need to shift to God let me see. Let me see every opportunity as a chance to manage for glory. Not, I'm so hurt that I can't do that. I'm so mad that I'll never be able to forgive. I'm so betrayed that I'll never be able to. No, let me see clearly. 
I'm no longer going to take offense. I'm going to bow. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to do what's right because every opportunity is God getting glory. My job is a time for God to get glory. The way I respond to injustice is a way for God to get glory. The way someone wrongs me, the way I respond to them is a way for God to get glory. The way I forgive someone who doesn't deserve my forgiveness is a way for God to get glory. And in verse 9, it says, Then he shouted to Saul, Y'all bored? Okay. It says, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can what? See with your own eyes it's not true. For the Lord placed you at, the mercy, at my mercy back there in that cave. My men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, look at this. He just told the man trying to kill him his father. He said, look, my father, what I have in my hand is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I did not kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I'm not sinning against you, even though you've been, you have been hunting for me to kill me. Look what he's doing. David could have managed this this way. I'm taking him out so I can get the throne. Instead, he manages it this way. This is an opportunity for me to help him to see the truth. He looks at a man trying to kill him as a chance to maybe see his redemption. And when people do what's wrong, the last thing we see is a chance to help them to see. We think, how do I get forward? How do I get back? How do I get out? And redemption is thrown away. David's got it right. He says, man, he says, maybe now you can see with your own eyes the truth. And then there's the fact that in this verse, he says, he shouted to Saul. David made the first move. And there's so many times in managing opportunities that we wait for the opportunity to happen for someone else to make the move. I'll forgive them once they say they're sorry. I'll humble myself when they say they're wrong. I will when they, David didn't say, I'll, I, I'll, I'll make a way when Saul apologizes for trying to kill me and taking my wife and throwing everything away. He didn't do that. He took the first opportunity for reconciliation. And as I was preparing this message, I wonder what we're, that what we're avoiding would actually be a place of pursuing God to get glory. What if God is being robbed of glory because you're avoiding the opportunity? Like, like, what, like, like what if we're avoiding opportunities so much that you're robbing God of glory? Because you want to make sure you got yourself taken care of. We got ourselves taken care of. Our backs are taken care of. We're robbing him. We've got to manage every single opportunity. And then David says in 12, may the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me. But I won't harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I'll never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right, punish the guilty one. He is my advocate. He will rescue me from his power. Look at what David clarifies. He says, you've done wrong, and I'm not getting away, I'm not getting away from that, but I'm not going to be the one that condemns you. God is. 
Let God take care of that. I have one responsibility to bring justice, to bring mercy, and to be humble. And I'm going to bow to you, King Saul, who's been trying to kill me in an effort to help you see because I don't want glory as the one who took you out. I want God to get glory for the one who put me in. That's David's total thing. He wants to get there in God's plan so God gets... If David would have taken it out, this is what would have been said to the people. Look at how great David is because he killed King Saul. That's not what David wants. David wants God to get glory. 2 Timothy 2 says this in verse 10, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure hardship, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If you die to your glory and endure hardship that comes from that, he says you gain two things. You, you gain life and you reign. For what does the world say? You reign, so you reign. God says, well, endure hardship and you'll reign. Die with him and you'll live. Everything's backwards. Everything's upside down. Everything's opposite. So in 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called back. Is that really you? My son, David. And then he began to cry. And he said to David, you're a better man than I am. You repaid me good for evil. Look at how quickly King Saul changed. Years and years of trying to kill David. And when he saw mercy, everything about King Saul changed in a second. He said, you've been amazingly kind to me today for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Look what just happened. King Saul turned. Because David managed an opportunity for glory, King Saul says, the Lord, God's getting glory even from a man who's turned his back on him. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you've shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king. And the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that what, when that happens, you're not going to kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promises to Saul with an oath. And Saul went home, but David and his men went, David and his men went back to their stronghold. Saul sees that David repays good for evil and makes a pact with him. Saul says, I'm going to accept the fact that you are the man of God and you will be the king. He says, please spare my life. Show me mercy. Now we know that Saul's going to change his mind. Because there's, there's something different here. David's seeking, Saul's not. But in a moment, someone who's not been seeking God, someone who's not even having God in the forefront of his mind, gives God glory. And he changes if even just for a minute, even if it was just for a day. And the way you're fighting your battles is all the world's ways. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to show them up. I'm going to look out for me. I'm going to look out for number one. I'm going to take care of myself. And you're wondering why you're still stuck.
because that is not the characteristics of remaining to get fruit. What's remaining is what David's doing. I'm humbling myself. I'm showing mercy. I'm honoring that corrupted leader because he's a leader, not because of what he's doing with his leadership. And because of all that, you know, David's shouting to Saul. Saul could have sent his 3,000 troops to kill him in a second. But not only did David spare Saul's life, Saul spared David's. All because David managed an opportunity. I'm not taking this in my hands. I'm going to show mercy. Because what I want Saul to see is not my strength. What I want Saul to see is God's glory. We have got to become a people that are totally surrendered and managing every opportunity for glory. As Tyler comes up to the piano, I want to read a couple more scriptures and I'm going to close it out. And in Romans 12, starting in verse 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. That's what David did. He says, Saul, God's, God's going to take care of you, but I'm not the one that's going to do it. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. Like, look what the Lord promises you. Like, everyone listen to that. The Lord promises you, I am going to pay them back for what they've done to you. Let me do it. If your enemies are hungry, don't starve them. Feed them. Sometimes the people that do you the most wrong are the exact people that you need to pour yourself into. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're hungry for acclamation, for, for accolades, if they're hungry for blessing, go to that person who's done you wrong and give them a blessing. Hey, you're a great leader. You're a great person. I, I see so much in you. Thank you for giving me this job. Thank you for doing this for me. Feed them. They're hungry. But are you so blinded by your revenge that you fail to see their hunger? Maybe there's that family member who keeps backbiting you or that friend that keeps backbiting you and you're so blinded by your want for revenge and looking out for number one that you cannot see what they're actually hungry for. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you're going to reap burning coals of shame on their head. Do not let evil conquer you. Conquer evil by doing good. The scripture put, puts it so simple sometimes. How do you conquer evil? Evil? Revenge? No, do good. Because the world system says eye for an eye. But in Matthew 5, 38, it says, you've heard that the law says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, let, offer the other one. Why? Because it's an opportunity to give God glory. It's an opportunity to say there's much more going on than me and you. Managing every opportunity aligning every step with God 
That's how you walk into destiny. That's how you walk into fruitful seasons. You get to a place in your life where you say, I'm no longer going to make this about me. I've suffered betrayal of life. I've suffered loss. I've suffered hurt. And I've suffered pain. How am I going to respond? I'm going to take every opportunity from here on out to give God glory. Because it's not going to be in my time. It's not going to be my, my hand. It's not going to be my, my strength. It's going to be by Him. And the way God works when He speaks to you, it's usually not about you. It's about Him. We work, we, we, we live in this chaotic world. And instead of running right to it to show mercy and justice and humility, we run from it and we call it going to church. We escape the darkness and come into these buildings and say, I gotta get together with some believers because the world's crazy. Instead of realizing the reason you come here is not to escape it. The reason you come here is to get the tools to influence it. Well, how do I influence it? You manage every opportunity to give God glory. When it doesn't go your way, praise Him. They're not going to understand it. When you get cheated, praise Him. They're not going to understand it. When something goes wrong, when something goes down, when stuff gets taken, praise Him. They're not going to understand it. And he says, if you'll do that, I'll take care of everything. David spares Saul's life. He doesn't kill the king. But here's a spoiler alert. David still becomes king. His destiny has not changed. His purpose has not changed. If anything, it makes him more fit for the job. It's a simple word today, y'all. You want to be fit for your destiny? You want to be fit for your calling? You really want to walk into what God has for you? Manage every opportunity for glory. And he'll bring you into every place he needs you to be.